Let's, let's get into it. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Matthew 5. And today, specifically, we are going to be looking at verses 33 uh, through 37. We're continuing in our series um, through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and what we've been doing is we've been tackling um, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. What, what happens is we're seeing how Jesus is reframing and calling us back to the law. So he's doing two things continually. Every week we're looking at another snippet. Started with the Beatitudes and we're seeing that Jesus is, is one. He's calling us back to the heart of the law. Remember we said the law was like this precious thing that God gave. But it had become so encrusted. Right? So surrounded by religious tradition that had been cemented onto it that by the time we get to Jesus, nobody really knows what the law really is anymore. Right? Because what we've started to do is, is we've started to look at the law that God gave and all of the, the religious traditions that we attach to it, and, and we don't know what's what anymore. And so what Jesus is doing in this Sermon on the Mount is he's taking a hammer and a chisel and he is chipping away at all of the extra junk that has become attached to the law. And in that, as he does that, he's explaining that not only were we wrong for so many centuries about what the law was supposed to accomplish, right? What the law was for, what the heart of the law was. Now he's showing us that, oh, by the way, I am the fulfillment of that law. It finds its fulfillment in me. And so these are the things that we're kind of seeing as we unpack this here. And, and we've talked about the Beatitudes, right? And we've talked about anger and murder and, and lust and adultery and divorce. And we continue today with heart reframes. And we're going to talk about telling the truth. We're going to talk about this idea of taking the Lord's name in vain. How many of you ever, let's be real here, because I can't be the only one. How many of you ever had your mouth washed out with soap? Yeah. How many of you didn't like it? Is there any weird person here that's willing to admit that they kind of dug it? Right. I, listen, that's you, man. I don't even know. Like, yeah, woo, coast. Anyway, here's the thing. It's not good, right? It's not good. Had a grandma once that thought Tabasco sauce might be a good alternative on the tongue. Now I just really like hot wings. But here's the deal, right? We know, like inherently, we know that our language matters, right? We're taught young that our language matters, right? Like, like when you hear a kid say something, like all eyes turn, like, uh-oh. Because we're told that we, we are not supposed to take the Lord's name in vain. We're supposed to watch what we say. And in our culture, we've kind of turned that into don't say bad words. Don't say bad words, right? Come up with alternatives to bad words. But that's not exactly what, what God had in mind when he instituted this command of not taking the Lord's name in vain, right? He, he wasn't specifically, now I hate it when you do this, stop doing it when you stub your toe and, and you yell, Jesus Christ, and then you have to hurry up and finish with a prayer, please heal my toe because you knew you weren't supposed to say the Lord's name in vain. That's bad, don't do that. 
But that's not exactly the heart of it either. See, the heart, the heart of this wasn't about foul language, and it wasn't about something that, that inadvertently would come out of you. Listen, those aren't good. Don't do that. Don't cheapen the name of God that way. But, but what God was saying when he said, listen, you shouldn't take my name in vain, is he's saying that you can't invoke my name flippantly. You can't make vows and oaths and promises based on my name and not be serious. Right? And so there's this thing um, that we have, to, we have to come to grips with. Now, I'm going to remind you of something as we get going, because this is going to be part of the problem of the Pharisaical tradition, right? Is, is they took this literally, that you were not to take the Lord's name in vain, any other name. And that was fine. Any other promise you could break, any other oath that was breakable. And so remember one of the things we talked about, one of the things that we're discovering about the, um, the law as we go through the Sermon on the Mount is simply this. The spirit of the law is more important than the letter of the law. Now that's not to say that you can break the letter of the law and feel fine about it, right? That's not what that means. But what it means is you can't pat yourself on the back for following you can't pat yourself on the back for following the law exactly, but then breaking the spirit of it at will, right? Because the law was never meant to be a mechanical set of rules that you could tick off and check off the box and then somehow be right with God. The law was meant to be something more heart-driven. The law was supposed to be a way that you would stay close to God and that you would experience that. All right, so let's, let's just dig in here, uh, and um, we're going to start in Matthew 5. Now, you've seen this verse, what, five weeks in a row? Five weeks in a row you've seen this, and I'm going to go ahead and be willing to bet you're going to see it like every week that we still have this series. Here's what it is. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual morality, theft, lying, and slander. See, the point that Jesus is making in this is that the law was actually all about the heart. And we get confused about that. Sometimes we think Old Testament had to do with rituals, had to do with following a bunch of rules. New Testament has to do with our heart and Jesus. But what Jesus is telling us in this reframe through the Sermon on the Mount is once we get rid of all the religious tradition is no, no, no. It was always about the heart because it's out of the heart that those things come. Right? It's out of the heart that you have a problem telling the truth. It's out of your heart that you have a problem with fidelity. It's out of the heart that you have those murderous, evil, angry thoughts that you can't let go of. Those things come from the heart and then they leak out of you. That's the best way I can frame it for you. They start here and you think you can lock it up. You think it can just live in here right? And you wrestle with it and you try real hard and you, and you struggle, but eventually it will leak out of you because it's what's in you. And when it does, right, you think, oh no, I finally sinned. And Jesus is saying, no, oh, no, you got it all wrong. The fact that it was in there the whole time, that's the problem. The fact that it was in your heart the whole time is the problem. He's like, Christianity is not a behavior-based religion. And sometimes as Christians, we really feel like it is. 
we really feel like if I can just behave well enough, then God will approve of me. But Christianity isn't behavior-based. Christianity is a heart. And so this is what Jesus is saying. He's like, it was in there the whole time. Yeah, it leaked out and that's bad, but it was bad to begin with because it was in there. He says, so here's what I want to do. Here's how I fulfill the law. I want to take your old heart and I want to give you a new one. I want to give you a new heart. This is what we're doing here with the Sermon on the Mount. And, and when we get to this topic, you might see, okay, well, we've talked about lust and adultery and sexual morality and divorce. We've talked about murder and rage. And now we're going to talk about truth-telling. It doesn't necessarily seem to flow, except this. When we can't be completely honest and when we can't be known as truth-tellers, whose side do we think we're on? Jesus Christ is the author of all truth. He refers to himself as the truth. And he says, and and that truth will set you free. How do we know Satan? He is the father of lies. So this issue is bigger than we might think it is. So let's just just get to it. Oh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll tell you this story. Here's the issue with Proverbs, right? Like, so, so Proverbs 10 says, the more we talk, the less truth comes out. Okay? And, and I guess the, the reason I, I wanted you to linger here just a little bit, and I want you to know this, is, is the problem is this. Oftentimes what happens, and it happened with the Pharisees and, and, and the religious leaders, and it happens with us. Our character can't stand on its own most of the time. See, if our character could stand on its own, I wouldn't have to use a lot of words. If my character could stand on its own, I wouldn't have to make vows. I wouldn't have to swear to God. If my character could stand on its own, I could just say my truth. My truth. Never mind. That's a, I know I just, I triggered somebody. <laughs> when I said my truth, I meant the truth. Right? Right? But I could just say the truth, and then when I said the truth, you would know my character well enough, and that would just be it. But what happens when my character is suspect? I have to actually use more words to convince you that this time I mean it. I know I said I was serious before, but guys, this time I'm super serious. Like, I mean, I I know I said this before and it turned out to be wrong, but this time I'm swearing, right? Like, like not just on a Bible, but I've had people tell me before, I'm going to swear on a whole stack of Bibles. I'm like, one will do the trick, (laughs) but I'm going to add more because I need you to know how serious I am this time. And that's more talk. More talk usually means less truth, right? That's, that's the, that's the proverb God shares with us in, in Proverbs 10. More talk, less truth. And, and here's the, the silly example I have is, um, listen, some of you know my daughter, Riley. She's better. She's a grown married woman now, right? She works at Prairie Lake Church up in North Liberty, and, or North Liberty, no, Cedar Falls. Um, she used to work at a church in North Liberty in Cedar Falls, and, and she, she has ministry there, and, and I just saw her last night, and she and Isaiah are great. Everything's going well. But man, when she was 16, she was a liar. She was a liar. 
You know how I know she lied? Because she said more than two words. Because she was notorious for this, right? And, and, and it's just such a clear example of what we do. We just do it in more religious kinds of ways or more adult kinds of ways. But I would ask her a question and she would, she would answer it. And then if she didn't think we believed her, because usually it was not true, she would start elaborating a whole story. And you'd be five minutes into this story and you'd be like, okay, stop lying, right? Like, like you'd be like, and over the dumbest things, like, um, you know, she'd rebellious kids, right? She's like, well, I, I'm, I'm not, to... we had goofy rules at our house, right? We're, we were in Iowa, Illinois right there. There's a bridge you have to cross. She was not always the best driver. It's like, you got to stay on this side of the river. Like, where'd you go? Right? And I knew she crossed the bridge immediately. I knew she went over the bridge to the other side of the river. If, right, I got to know not just what restaurant she went to, but what she ordered what the waitress looked like, how long it took her to get her drink, and then how upset she was that it took her a long time to get her refill, and all of these other ancillary details that I didn't ask about and weren't real, right? That was my clue. She's lying to me. More talk is less truth. That's why Jesus is going to end this chunk with saying, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Your character should be able to stand up on its own. All right, here's how he starts. He says, you've heard also that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you made to the Lord, right? You must not make a vow and then break the vow. You must not take the Lord's name in vain. This is what that means. You must not take the Lord's name in vain. You must not swear on his name and then not follow through. This is the whole point. And this is rooted Rooted in the Old Testament law, Leviticus 19.12, uh, do not bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely. This is the idea of perjury, right? This is the idea of you saying something untrue, saying something untrue, not because you're confused, not because you made a mistake, but this is the idea of you saying something untrue because you want to tell a lie. Plain and simple. It's not an accident. It's purposeful. So when you tell me, right, that, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something. When you tell me a lie, whatever that might be, right, when you tell me something that's untrue, but you invoke the name of God, right, this is what would happen. God would say, listen, you are not just guilty of an untruth. You are guilty of taking the Lord's name in vain. It was doubly bad. Peter did this. You remember Peter? Peter swore up and down that he didn't know Jesus, that he wasn't with Jesus. And it was bad enough that he lied about knowing Jesus, but then he actually does. Look at this. What happens in Matthew 26? He actually invokes the name of God to tell his lie. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, hey, you must, this is the third time, you must be one of them, right? We can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore, this is, this is an oath, right? A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And then, of course, immediately the rooster crowed and Peter remembered uh, what God had told him would happen. But, but here's Jesus, or I'm sorry, here's Peter claiming, I don't know Jesus. He's perjuring himself and he's using the name of God to sell it, 
right? That's his whole point. He's using the name of God to tell his lie. He wants people to believe him, and he thinks, well, they'll believe me if I swear to God. He's taking the Lord's name in vain. The other one here is when you make a vow to the Lord your God, be prompt in fulfilling whatever you promised him. For the Lord your God demands that you promptly fulfill all your vows or you will be guilty of sin. This is the other kind of vow is somebody would make a promise to God. Hey, listen, if you give me a good harvest, I will give you 20% of all of my, um, all of my harvest. Now, God didn't ask people to make those vows. God didn't say, hey, you have to make this vow, right? But if you made the vow, God did require that you followed up. God did require that you followed through. So he says, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you don't have to, but when you do make a vow to the Lord your God, promptly fulfill your vows or you will be guilty of sin. So that's the law that Jesus is referring to. Like we see this one, you see this a couple times, right? Like um, you remember the story of Hannah and her son Samuel? You read about it in, Sam, in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah is, is distraught because she can't have children. She's going to the, uh, the tabernacle to worship, right? And she says to the high priest Eli, um, because she's so, she's sad, she's distraught, she's crying, she's, she's just crying out to the Lord. Eli actually thinks she's drunk. The high priest thinks she's drunk, comes over to her and says, hey man, you got to knock this off. It's too early in the morning for you to be drunk, right? You're, you're at the tabernacle. You're here to worship. You can't be drunk. And she's like, I'm not drunk. I'm distraught because I don't have a child and I want God to bless me with a child. And she makes this vow. If God blesses me with a child, I will give that child to the Lord. That's a vow she made. God didn't ask her to make that vow, but she did. And now she's required to fulfill it. And that's what happens. She has a son named Samuel. And after um, Samuel turns one, she takes Samuel to the tabernacle and she leaves him there with Eli, the high priest, to raise him for the Lord. Because she has to follow the vow. Okay, tracking this so far. You're like, okay, I don't know what the point is, Matt. That's right. God says don't, you know, that's true and it is true. And so here we go. But, but here's what the Pharisees would do. Here, here's how they had, here's how they'd screwed up this reality with religious tradition. They decided to be literal. They decided to follow the letter of law and not the spirit of the law. So you must carry the vows you make to the Lord. So here's what they would start to do. They would start to say, I swear by heaven that this is what I will do. And then later, when they didn't want to do it, they would say, well, I didn't swear by the Lord, so I don't have to follow through. I swear by the hairs on my head that this is what I will do. And then later, if I decided I didn't want to do it, I would say, well, you know what? I didn't swear by the Lord, so I'm safe. And so they would start to change the heart of the law and use it as a technicality. In fact, Jesus accuses them of this later. 
You've probably read this in Matthew 15, but it doesn't make any sense unless we know the context. So let's, let's walk through it. Jesus replied, and why do you, he's talking to the Pharisees, why do you by your traditions violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. Right? That's what God says in the law. Kids, look at it, man. It's a thing. Honor your father and mother, and if you speak disrespectfully to them, oh, it's bad news, right? This is what they were supposed to do. This is the law. But here's what the Pharisees did. Here's how they sidestepped it, right? Jesus is accusing them of this. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. I want nothing to do with you, right? Because I vowed to give to God what I should have been using to support you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents, and so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own traditions. So here's, here's what the Pharisees got really good at doing. They would make these vows, taking the Lord's name in vain, and they would twist things so that they could get out of their responsibilities and dishonor God, right? And so they would say, yes, I know that I'm supposed to support my parents in their old age. That's my job. I'm supposed to honor my father and mother. I'm supposed to support my parents in their old age. But they found a loophole. They didn't want to spend their money in that way. So here's what they did. They would make a vow. I'm going to use this money to honor God and and to, to support God's work at the temple. And so then when the time came for them to give this money to their parents, they would say, oh man, mom, dad, I'm so sorry. I already vowed to give that money to God. What am I supposed to do? Forget the fact that they were supposed to give money to God anyway. But they tried to use this loophole by calling on the name of God to do this. And, and so in that way, they've, they've started to pervert what God says. So here's what Jesus says about that. Yeah, you heard um, that you were supposed to, to make these vows in the name of the Lord and follow through. But here's what I'm saying. Stop making vows. Stop making vows. Don't say by heaven, right? Because heaven is God's throne. And people thought they could say, well, by heaven, this is true, even if it was false, and then they wouldn't have to worry about it. And Jesus is saying, well, that's the dumbest thing you could have said, because who do you think made heaven? Right? That's God anyway. And don't say by earth, because the earth is God's footstool. And don't say by Jerusalem, because that's the city of the great king. Don't even say by my head, because you can't turn one single hair white or black. And Jesus says this, just a simple yes or no. Yes, I will, or no, I won't. That's what he's saying. He's saying, stop, stop with all of, uh, of the religious piety. Quit all of it. And just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, most of us in here aren't swearing things by Jerusalem. By Jerusalem. By heaven. A lot of us will say, I swear to God. And the point that Jesus is making is that none of that even really matters. Because when your word comes out of your mouth, it ought to stand on its own. Because what happens is, when you lie, now listen to me, when you lie, whether you've invoked the name of God or not, you are actually taking the Lord's name in vain. 
That's the point Jesus is making. He says, you don't need to say by Jerusalem. You don't need to say by heaven. You don't need to say by God. You don't need to say by the earth. You don't need to say any of those things because they're all God's. You need to let your yes be yes and you need to let your no be no because that's how you honor God. Anything else is blaspheming God and taking his name in vain. And see, we don't always think about that. And what happens is we, all of us, stretch the truth. At worst, we're just outright liars. Why? Because it helps us get our way. Or we lie because, because it, it, it helps prove a point. That's at worst. At worst, we just flat out lie. At best, we're exaggerators. We exaggerate a lot. We exaggerate thinking, oh, well, this will help prove my point. So we, we give it a little mustard, like, yeah, that's gonna, that'll land, right? And it's honest, kind of, but, but we've added a little bit to it so that it'll really drive the point home. Why? Because I'm trying to win an argument or I'm trying to make my point. I'm trying to get somebody to agree with me. We embellish stories all the time. We embellish. We tell little white lies that we think are no big deal. Right? Because it doesn't really affect anybody. It just makes my life easier. We do all of these things and we think it's not a big deal. But God says, Jesus says, listen, that's what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. You need, you need to be known as, as a person of character and integrity. Right? You need to let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you exaggerate, when you exaggerate, listen, there are times to exaggerate. Um, because Pastor David's not here today, I can tell this story and not own five dollars. But, but whenever he lies to his kids, and when I say lie, he's not like lying to them, but he is on purpose exaggerating and, and, and lying to them. So let's not let him off the hook. He's a liar. He's lying to his kids, but they always know it. So they always tell him, we need to go to Pastor Matt's house. Like, let's go. We're going to Pastor Matt's house because you need to talk to him. Right, but when we talk about this, right, where you, you know, like if you really, to, I did this this week, prepping this sermon. I'm like, I'm, a, I'm an honest guy. I'm an honest guy. Turns out I'm a liar. And I take the Lord's name in vain because here's what I thought. I thought at the beginning of the week, prepping the sermon, I'm like, I'm going to keep track. Not, not bold-faced lies. I mean, I can proudly say I haven't bold-faced lied, Right. But that doesn't matter, right? That's just giving me credit for something that, that I never should have been doing in the first place. But here's what I do a lot. I exaggerate. I embellish. Maybe manipulate in that little bit of a way. God says that's not all right. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. We don't always think of it that way. But that's what it is. See, here's how, here's how he, he brings it back, right? He finishes with this. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Anything beyond saying yes and meaning it or saying no and meaning it, anything else is from the evil one. Like how? How is it from the evil one, right? I'm just, I'm just trying to prove a point because I know I'm right. Anybody else ever know you're always right? All right, Colson, you know you're always right. Listen, I get it, man, because I'm always right. But what happens when we disagree? One of us is wrong. It's you, by the way. <laughs> it's you. 
but we disagree. We have this issue, right? But, but we embellish or we stretch or we exaggerate. Why? Because we want to prove a point or because we don't want to open that can of worms or because we don't want to have to deal with that or because we just want somebody to agree with us or any number of reasons that we do this. And we're like, it's not really that bad. And Jesus is saying, yeah, yeah, it really is. This is a heart issue. Just like holding on to that anger and hate is really that bad, even if you're not acting on it. Just like lusting after that man or lusting after that woman is really that bad, even if you're not acting on it. Being deceitful, even to a small degree, is that bad because it's taking the Lord's name in vain. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. That's the point that Jesus is making in this. Absolute honesty. Why? Because there should be nothing wicked in my heart. Because if I really am a Christian, then Jesus has given me a new heart. He's taken away my heart of stone. And he's giving me a heart that responds. So here's where that leaves us, right? It leaves us with me telling you to stop it or me telling you that you need to dig further into Jesus, right? We could end each of these, each of these, these lessons on the Sermon of the Mount saying, okay, right? So now you know, so stop it. Stop being angry. You're like, oh, okay. Well, nobody ever told me to stop it before. So now I'll stop it. Stop lusting. Oh, I didn't know lusting was bad. I'll quit it. Right? Stop. Stop. Stop it. You're like, oh, okay, I'll stop it. Stop being dishonest. Stop not being 100% truthful all the time. Oh, okay. All right, cool. I'll stop that. Right? We could say that, and and we could guilt you and shame you into it, and and we could beat you up, and you could walk out of here hanging your head and thinking, okay, well, fine, I guess... I guess I'll just have to work harder. I'll have to try harder. I'll have to work better at, at being completely free of anger and completely free of lust. And, and I'll, I'll never let anything, I, I just got to lock it in. And that's fine and good. But you've probably been trying that for a really long time. It doesn't really work. You could do really well for a long time. See, something I gave up on a long time ago um, was dieting. Because I could do really well for a long time, like 24 hours even. (laughs) Like seriously, guys, I would go to bed and I'd be like, I nailed it today. I nailed it. And then you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, man, I'm hungry. I wonder if we have cake. And when you're dieting, there's always cake. I don't know why that is, but there's always Satan. There's always cake when you're dieting. Gave up dieting a long time ago, right? Because it's frustrating and exhausting and it makes me feel worse about myself. Some of you need to give up religiosity because it's frustrating and it's exhausting and it makes you feel worse about yourself. You're like, I'm trying really hard, Matt. I'm trying to to let go of my anger and I'm trying to shut down the lust and I'm trying to be truthful and and we're going to keep going, right? I'm trying to be generous and I'm I'm trying to uh, to pray and fast. I'm trying to do all of these things and and, and it's exhausting and it's frustrating. And and I'm not going to tell you, okay, yeah, forget it. It's good to be lust-filled. It's good to be angry. It's good to tell half-truth. No, it's not. 
But the key isn't for you to just walk away trying harder. The key is for the truth that you need better. That needs to drive you to Jesus. And I don't mean to an understanding of who Jesus is. See, there's this thing, and Pastor David talked about this in week one of this series. There's this thing where we might defiantly surrender to Jesus because hell sounds bad. Okay, I don't want hell. So I'm going to surrender to Jesus so I don't have to go to hell. But that's frustrating because then you're just trying hard to be good. But when you're ready to just come to Jesus and say, okay, I'm not just looking to avoid hell, but I just want my life to be different. I want it to really be different. Then we just have to full on surrender because it's there in that surrender. And and I, I know it sounds ethereal and weird, but it's in that surrender that God says, okay, I can help you now. You want to let go of lust? When you really have surrendered, I can help you let go of that. When, when, when you've really surrendered, you're like, you want to let go of half-truth? When you really surrender, I can help you let go of that. You want to stop being so mad at the world? When you really surrender, I can help you let go of that. But here's the key. You have to really surrender. Full on, no qualifications, no bitterness, no halfways, no just enough to get out of hell. You have to just lay it all down. You have to say, like our people that were baptized today, okay, I am committing to you as the Lord and Savior of my life. Now, what do I need to do? And I promise you that when that's your heart posture, God will put you in positions to grow. And he'll put people around you in community to help you grow. So, I'm going to pray for us. um, And we're going to uh, um, offer a benediction. And people are free to leave. But here's the thing I'll say to you. If you are ready to full-on surrender to Jesus... If that's something you've been struggling to do and you're ready to just say, you know what? I give up. No more defiant surrender. I am ready to totally give myself to Jesus because it's exhausting otherwise and it doesn't work. If you're ready for that, I'm going to sit up here for a little bit and just come and I want to pray with you. I don't have all the answers for you. I'm not Jesus. You're, You're supposed to be shocked, but whatever. You're like, it's true, I'm not. I don't have all the answers for you, but here's what I can do. I can pray with you. I can pray with you, right? Because what we're doing then is we're praying to the person that does and that knows what you need and that knows how to help you grow and change and be transformed. Heavenly Father, God, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. Even something as benign as stop lying, God, is so much richer and deeper than we think it is. God, and it betrays this need that we have to be made new totally by Jesus Christ. Because there is no way that we can fix this and do this on our own. God, so I pray for those of us here, for myself and my own heart, and for everyone here, that we will not waste the the opportunity to completely surrender to you. Not half-hearted, not defiant surrender, not just enough, but that we will give it all to you.
God, I pray that you will set people free. The people that are in bondage to that heart issue and and not wanting to let things go and that are frustrated and irritated that it's not better yet, God, I pray that you will set them free and that you'll help them to see that your way is what's right, but that we can only walk in your way when we are completely submitted to you. Father, we love you. We thank you for the truth. God, I pray a blessing on those here. I pray a special blessing on those that were baptized today. God, I pray that this day will serve as a marker for them in their faith, that they will be able to look at it with joy, knowing that this is the day they publicly proclaimed that they were following you. And God, when life gets hard and when the world starts to push against them, God, I pray that they would use this day as a reminder that they have surrendered and submitted to Jesus, and that is better. God, we love you and praise you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.